So how can it be that good? Because that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we consider and continue on our series where we look at the Apostles' Creed and the different uh, facets of that. And we look this morning of our belief and our understanding in the forgiveness of sins. And, uh, and I want to ask that question, how, how can it be when we might actually resonate with some of those words that were sung, that I'm guilty and I'm ashamed 
of what I've done and, and of what I've become. And these hands are dirty, and how can I raise them up uh, to the Holy One? So how can it be that we can declare that I am forgiven? We believe in the, forgive, the forgiveness of sins. We talked about free lunches earlier, and it's almost like when something sounds as good as that, it sounds too good to be true. And there is no such thing as a free lunch. But in this case, actually, you know, the good news of the gospel is that actually it is that good. It's even better. It's even more than we might even dare to imagine or believe. But it wasn't free, of course, because it cost Jesus everything. How can it be? that we can believe in the forgiveness of sins. What does it mean then from our understanding in the Bible of what forgiveness is? The for forgiveness as we see it is the freeing of a person from guilt and its consequences, including punishment. We want to move on a couple of slides. Including punishment, usually as an act of favor, compassion, or love with the aim of restoring a broken personal relationship. Forgiveness can involve both the remission of punishment and the cancellation of debts. How can it be that we should receive all of this but be forgiven? We read in Psalm 130, If you, Lord, should mark our iniquities, then who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Lord, if you should mark our iniquities, then none should stand before you. But with you there is forgiveness. How can it be that God, the Holy One, with our dirty hands, to whom we can, we can raise our hands, how can it be that God should forgive us? How is it that we can, as we read in Hebrews this morning, enter into the holy uh, place with full assurance and confidence How is it that we can believe that we have been and are being made new, that Jesus has made a way for us, that we can draw near in full assurance of faith? How can it be that God would forgive? Well, the reason why we can believe in the forgiveness of sins is because it's the very nature of God who's, with whom there is forgiveness. We read this. I'm going to jump around lots of different scriptures and throughout uh, scripture this morning. But, but if we go right back to Exodus where uh, Moses comes down off of the mountain and he's carrying the, the tablets and the Ten Commandments. And the people, have all, they've lost it and they've made the golden calf. And it, and, the, and it says he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness rebellion and sin. In Psalm 103, we read that, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What are the benefits? I mean, the whole of Psalm 103. He forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. He redeems our life from the pit, crowns us with love and compassion. Why? Because the Lord is compassionate and gracious, and he is slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does, forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. 
And then we read in Isaiah 43, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remember your sins no more. As Wayne prayed this morning. We can believe in the forgiveness of sins because it is the nature of the God who we worship this morning. And what is it that we understand about his, his nature and the forgiveness of sins? I think, I mean, sometimes I think we wonder, is there a quota? Is there a, is there a ration? And we've done it, and, we're, and, it's, and now we've, we've kind of blown it. But in, I mean, there's, there's some beautiful texts where, we, where Jesus talks, where we go through the New Testament and through the life and the teaching of Jesus, where there's one point in Matthew 18 that Peter gets up, and he, and he, he asks Jesus, and Eugene Peterson's translation says, Peter says, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven. Sounds like a good number. And Jesus says, seven, hardly. Try 70 times seven. And what do we understand about God's forgiveness and the nature of God's forgiveness and the extent of God's forgiveness in this is that it is without limit. The unlimited forgiveness of God. As we sang in that as, always, as we heard in that song, the Lauren Daigle song at the beginning, How Can It Be? There's sometimes I'm hiding from you, Lord, believing, you know, questioning, can you love me? How do you love me? How could you love me? Maybe some of us are sitting here this morning thinking, have I exhausted the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God? Am I loved? Am I, am I truly forgiven? Have I blown it with him? Can it really be that good? How can it be? How can it be that good? And then, but, but how can it be? I'm, a, I'm not a bad person. So how can it be that I should even require forgiveness from God? I mean, isn't it about, I, I just need to forgive myself? Well, you know, I, I don't want to just sort of dismiss that as I should. But like there is no biblical kind of teaching on, got to forgive ourselves. But like, it, it isn't there. Like I can't forgive. I, there's not enough in me to forgive myself. What I need is what comes from beyond me. It's what God pours into me. It's what Jesus has achieved for me that I might know forgiveness. It's not about how I might forgive myself. So why is it that how can it be that forgiveness is possible? How can it be that, well, first of all, that, that I need forgiving? Well, we're reminded that well, having looked at the nature of God, what about our own nature? Well, we're fallen. We're broken. First John reads, reads that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Because, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The psalmist knew it. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions and wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. It's our nature, broken, fallen. So how can it be that, that I should, so should, I remember when somebody first shared the gospel, rather, I remember it was a friend at university and she was trying, she was trying her best to explain to me what it meant and and I remember my response to her was like, yeah, I don't think I'm that bad. You know, I'm not a bad person. How can it be that I should need uh, forgiving, that I should need God to do this for me? 
Paul reminds us in Romans, it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. And later on in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why when we read in Isaiah uh, 6, when Isaiah is, is encounters the glory of the Lord, he, he, what does he say? Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. Woe to me. So how can it be that we can lift our hands in praise? How can it be that we can say we believe in the forgiveness of sins? We understand it's God's nature to forgive, that God is compassionate and gracious and merciful, whose forgiveness is without limit. We understand our need for forgiveness. So how can it be? How does, this, how does this work? How can it be that a holy God should love and could love a wretch like me? How is it that God works this through? Well, earlier in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 9, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. A whole sacrificial system set up to, 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 by which we can understand the, the penalty and the cost of our sin and our separation from God. And so laws were created. We read through Leviticus that, that if a member of the community sins unintentionally, does what's forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring as their offering for the sin they committed a female goat without defect. And they're to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And then we read later on in, in, uh, in Leviticus 5. If anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, and if they do not know it, they're guilty and will be held responsible. Okay, what's the response to that? The priest they're to bring to the priest as a guilt offering a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. And in this way, the priest will make atonement for the sin that has been committed. And then as we go through numbers, you know, I mean, some of these are the books we skip through when it comes to the Bible in the years. But, but, this, but this leads, then Numbers 19, we read, you know, what, this is the requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to you, bring a red heifer without defect or blemish, and there's never been under a yoke. And give it to Eleazar, the priest, and it's to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. And then the priest is to take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times. Okay, a perfect sacrifice, seven, this number of perfection, this sprinkling of the blood. It's pointing to, we were reminded of Jesus' own death, the sacrifice that he made. He was taken outside of the gates of the city where his blood was poured out for us. The perfect spotless lamb. How is it possible? How can it be that we can receive God's forgiveness? How, how can it be? And the answer is that it's through Jesus whose one sacrifice once and for all makes it possible for us to be restored in our relationship to God and to one another. Jesus himself spoke in Matthew 26. He took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he said to them, drink it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus spoke of himself in these terms. 
when he was seen by, by uh, John the Baptist, John saw Jesus coming to him. And what did he say? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Paul explains later on in Ephesians, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. How can it be that, how can it be that we can be forgiven? How can it be that God would forgive us? Well, Jesus has made that, the Jesus, the pure spotless lamb, has made the ultimate sacrifice, sacrifice for us. He has made a way. He pleads our cause. He rights our wrongs. He breaks our chains and he overcomes. We can have full assurance that if we confess our sins, God is just and will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We also know in 1 John chapter 2, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is atoning. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. How can it be? I was thinking again this morning that, that you know, what we believe, what we say we believe, but what we actually believe, and then how much that affects the way that we live. Right? Do we live, are we living as forgiven people? To know that and have that confidence that we live in the forgiveness through Jesus, that it's possible to live in the freedom that is ours through him. I mean, I was thinking the other day, it's, a, it's funny, isn't it? Of all the animals that, that God should use, when we, it's sheep. Right? What do we know about like sheep? They're not known for being smart, are they? I mean, they, they kind of fall in ditches, throw on their back, they can't get up again. They walk past barbed wire, they hitch themselves, they leave their fluff, fluff, not fluff, is it? Wool. <laughs> I mean, they're not the smartest creatures, and, what, and, and we are sheep, right? And Jesus is our shepherd, and he says, but I love my sheep, and my sheep know my voice, and they will hear me, and they will listen to me when I speak to them. Beautiful scripture in Isaiah. Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Forgiveness was a central message of Jesus' ministry. How is it? How can it be that Jesus has made a way? I mean, right from the very beginning of the announcement of his birth, when the angel appeared to Joseph and and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid. Take Mary. Take her as your wife. It's all good. We've got it all together. And he said, she's going to give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. And Jesus' ministry. Remember when Jesus is there, and, and the Pharisees, they're ready to stone the woman who's been caught in adultery. There's this big setup. And they're looking to Jesus. They show us, you know, what do we do? Here's this woman who's caught in her sin. And Jesus says, well, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he continues to paint in the sand. Until it's just him and this broken woman. Jesus says, who, who's, who stands to condemn you? And, and, and she says, no one. 
They're not for God. And then Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. But go now and leave your life of sin. And Jesus, when the friends bring the paralytic to Jesus to, to be healed, the guy, the guy cannot walk. He's, they, they lower him through the roof. And, um, and when Jesus saw their sins, what did he say? You're healed. He said, your friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're doing their nut. They're going mad. Like, like who is this fellow that, can, that speaks blasphemy? Who is it? It's only God that can forgive sins. You know, I think when we talk about our belief in the forgiveness of sins and what that means, and then the, and the way in which we live, I, I think the challenge is so often that we feel we have to add to it. Right? There's something that I need to do to add to this. Can it be that good? Is there more that I need to do? Or if I serve, or if I do this, or if I'm a better, I need to work on this. And, you know, and, and these are good things, but in, through, through the work of the Holy Spirit, outworking our lives, that we want to we open ourselves and surrender ourselves to God. But we cannot add to what Jesus has done on the cross. So look at this text in, in Hebrews 10. And there's verses um, from as we started in, verse 11 and 12. Every priest stands daily at his service. And performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, just look at these two postures. We have day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he's on his feet, doing his work. Offering sacrifice after sacrifice, but actually can never fully take away sin. It just points to the sin and our need for a savior. And what does Jesus do? In one sacrifice, one single sacrifice is made, and what does he do? He sits down. Now, most of us spend most of our working days sitting down, right? So in a way, maybe we've lost a bit of this, but we spend most of our days... If we work in an office, sitting down, right? We're working away. And usually, when we finish work, we then get up, right? And we go home and we'll go off and do something else. Well, let's go, like, for those of you that are fortunate enough to work on your feet, you might you have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but or if, if you're farming, or if you're working in the, like, pool, right? You're out on your feet. Well, not anymore. You're on your, you know. Anyway. <laughs> But if you're, out, if, you're, you know, if, you're, if you're in the fields and you're working the fields or you're, you're caring for your, you know, you're on your feet. And when the day is over, when the work is done, you sit down. Where is Jesus today? He's not on his feet. He's seated. He has sat at the right hand of God the Father. Right? The work is done. The work is done. Right? We cannot add to what Jesus has done for us. So we don't need to live as if we do. And what a comfort that should be to us, isn't it? Shouldn't that come as a comfort, as, a, as an encouragement that even though I fall, Jesus, you can make me new? Not that Jesus is continuously, but it's done. It's done. One sacrifice for all. For all. 
when we begin to understand that, when we begin to grasp the goodness, that changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it really should. I mean, it really should. Once we begin to grasp the, the love of God, what he has done for us in our state, what we could not do for ourselves, surely it changes something. It changes something in our heart that we might know joy, that we might stand in awe of God, that there might be a, a, a fresh sense of the wonder of God, that we, have, that we might know freedom. So we ask that question again. So how can it be? Like, how can it be now that I can live out of that place of forgiveness? Because something has changed. Everything has changed. How can it be from this point forth if Jesus has made the way for us? And we go to those last verses in Hebrews that we had read. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. What is it to draw near? It's to worship God, to draw near with faith, with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. Something changes we're invited to worship God. We're invited. We can come into the presence of a holy God. We can raise our hands to worship him. What is it that God seeks? He calls us to draw near to him. He seeks. We, our, our response is to worship him. But he says, but draw near to me with a true heart. Something changes in our heart. Earlier on in uh, verse uh, 16, this is the covenant I will make with them after those, after those days, declares the Lord. Wayne prayed it. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Okay, so this is quoted from Jeremiah 31. Right? This is a new way. The law, it's going to be in your hearts. Something changes. It starts with a heart and it works its way out in, in our understanding of who we are and then how we live and, and, and how we think and, and then how we behave. It changes everything. To know and understand the fullness and the forgiveness of God. To come before him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Not, not to doubt. Not, what is, like my confidence is not, can never be in myself. It can't be in, in, in me. If, I, if I'm looking at my life and thinking, can I now approach you, Lord? I've really got it the wrong way around because the object of my faith has to be Jesus. So when I feel wretched and broken, the object of my faith is not my brokenness. It is the glory and the majesty and the mercy and the compassion and the love of God that we see in Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us on the cross and bled for you and for me. So that we can draw near in full assurance with sincere hearts. True hearts. And for that, we need to look upon the face of Jesus. How then do we live when we know that we have been forgiven? What does it mean to live? How can it be to live as forgiven people? Well, it means that we can worship God. It means that our hearts, his law is written on our hearts. 
By his spirit, he enables and empowers, he transforms us. And it means that we, as we understand that what we have been forgiven, then we too are set free uh, to forgive others. And if we're struggling with areas of forgiveness or unforgiveness, it, you know, I just want to, maybe we have something of a debtor's mentality. That we haven't fully grasped what God has done for us if we cannot extend that same mercy and that grace and that forgiveness to others. And if, and if, and I'm not saying that this is easy because there are going to be things that we've been hurt and broken and bruised and battered. And I think a lot of us could put our hands up and we could, we could think, like, it's there, right? Ow, that hurt. But we invite the Lord, Lord, help me to forgive. Help me even to want to forgive. Help me to understand. Help me to, help me to receive in a fresh understanding and a fresh way your love again that I may forgive. I was speaking to somebody recently and they said to me, you know, I really only knew freedom in my own heart when I chose to forgive. I really only knew freedom when I chose to forgive. As I was uh, thinking about this message and uh, just, you know, how can it be, Lord? How can it be? Uh, I remember that this time, exactly this time last year, it was like, well, March break, right? But this time last year, I was going to visit um, my brother. I think it was a, not that one. That's the punchline. <laughs> there he is. So I was going to visit my brother, and he was, um, so he was, it was his consecration. He was made, he was made bishop uh, in New England. It was all a very proud moment. And um, that's him on his knees on the left, and then all robed up and bishoped uh, on the right uh, with his family. And, uh, you know, it was this beautiful, it was this amazing moment. Like, oh, how can that happen? Like, this is my brother. I know him. <laughs> how can it be? <laughs> I mean, how can, it, how can it be that I am, I'm even here? Like, how, like, something happened. Something happened. Like, God interrupted our lives, right? He broke in. And he met with us in a place of what was pain and hurt and, and just, well, and, and just and pursued us and chased us and wooed us and loved us and brought us to a place of faith. It wasn't our story as kids growing up. And I said, how does that happen? I know him. But you know what was the most, the, the, even, the even greater thing? Because like, that's like all the church, and you, you know, I know this is a brethren church, and here I am showing you Anglican consecration of a bishop. So you're like, well, but like none of that makes sense. Like we, we can do all of that, but none of it makes sense until we actually begin to see and believe and experience the power of that forgiveness in our lives, right? That many of us could point to and say, I have known this. So, so this is where I want to I show you the next slide. Because sitting around that table was well, my wife at the front. And then sitting at the back facing us, on the right is my dad. And on the left is his wife. And then beside my dad is my mum, my dad's ex-wife, and beside her, my stepdad. How can that be? Because there was a time in our story as a family where that 
could not have happened. And actually, the two people that are with my mom and my dad were not the people, you know, that's, they weren't part of that story, but, but something happened and it all broke down and there was betrayal and loss of trust and hurt. And yet there's been an encounter with Jesus and an understanding of the love of God that has enabled forgiveness to flow in, like to receive the forgiveness and to let that forgiveness flow out. That, that we could all gather and we all shared a house and we spent a week together over March break. You're like, oh my goodness, how does that work? Like, how can it be? Well, it's what Jesus does. Right? And that's his gift, and that's his offer, and that's his invitation to all of us this morning. So don't look at, don't look at your own state. Well, let, let me show you. But look at me. And let me take you by the hand, and let me lead you, and let me give you all that is yours, and all that I've given, and everything and more is for you. Whereby we can say, I believe in the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Amen. What a perfect day to celebrate communion after the mess.